When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is intended for entertainment and opinion. Nothing discussed is meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, please call 988 or use the resources listed in the episode description. To see the sources and other resources mentioned in this episode, you can visit psychologicallymindedpod.com. To contact me with any questions or comments about this topic or upcoming topics, email me at psychmindedpod at gmail.com. And finally, please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to get new episodes as they post. Enjoy this episode! Hello, and welcome to Psychologically Minded. I'm your host, Grace Fowler, and today is another installment of the We Need to Talk About series. And today, we need to talk about Elon Musk. Now, if you somehow are not familiar with Mr. Musk, he is a tech billionaire who has been involved with a variety of companies, including PayPal, Tesla, SpaceX, and now Twitter. And I am selecting him for a the topic of a We Need to Talk About episode Because in the last few years, it seems like his behavior has gotten a little bit more strange, (laughs) Um, a little more erratic. And so I think it is a, he makes for an interesting topic. And so I want to talk a little bit about kind of his upbringing, um, but spend some more time on some of the ideas that he has had and some of the allegations against him to just kind of talk about how those things relate to psychology. Um, as well as some of the responses he gets from fans, which show how he has been able to develop a very, like, close-knit group of supporters who really hang on to every one of his words, uh, even when he is making mistakes or saying things that are not true or not possible. Um, So I'm just going to touch on a couple of those things really briefly. Um, and hopefully through this episode can give you a little bit more information about the man Elon Musk and some of the hot topic issues uh, surrounding him. So to start off, uh, Elon Musk was born in 1971 in South Africa. His mother was a dietitian from Canada uh, and his father was a South African kind of rich guy. Um, he, he, on Wikipedia, it says he had quite a few jobs, but I think what is most often remembered is that he was a part owner of an emerald mine. Um, and so they, they were quite a wealthy family and, uh, partially because of Musk's father, Errol Musk, who had his hands in a lot of industries, uh, in a lot of real estate. And so made quite a lot of money. Uh, I bring that up because Elon has said in several interviews that he's not well, he didn't grow up wealthy, you know, he had to work for all of his stuff. Uh, And that's just like patently not true. (laughs) Like there's just, there's just evidence that that is not true. His 
father was quite wealthy. His family was very wealthy in South Africa. Uh, he may not have had access to that wealth in his early adulthood. Um, but to say that he didn't grow up in a privileged, wealthy family is just like untrue. He he just did. Um, and he often disputes the emerald mine claim, even though it has been well documented. And there are old interviews that people have dug up where he himself says, yes, my father was an owner of an emerald mine. But his kind of current narrative about himself is that he did not grow up with all this wealth and particularly not like a emerald mine in Africa, which, you know, brings connotations of exploitation and blood diamonds um, and all of that stuff. And I, I think that's important to show how this is not just an Elon thing, but I think like wealthy people tend to uh, create narratives around their wealth. And there is this idea that if you were born into wealth, you don't deserve it. But if you earned your wealth, then you deserve it a lot more. And so this kind of current generation of billionaires we have right now, a lot of them pitch these narratives about being self-made, um, working hard for everything that they had. And, you know, it's just like not physically possible to work to the point where you earn billions of dollars. Like there has to be, there has to be like some kind of like stepping stool that you had, right? Like there was a, a boost you got at the beginning of the race for you to be able to like be that far ahead of everyone. So the narrative that like he has worked hard and hustled his way through all of these things, is just like not, it's not possible uh, given where he is now. Uh, and this is just something that really wealthy people do. And I think it's important for us to be aware of these narratives that develop around wealth. Um, and they really tie into these beliefs, particularly in America, about pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, um, you know, you can be a self-made man, yada, yada, yada. And the reality is, is that uh, many people, I would say most people, <laughs> work very hard at whatever it is they do and will never come within a stone's throw of a billion dollars. It's just not how our society is set up. It is not how our economy works. And this myth that if you can hustle and uh, grind 24-7 and, you know, sleep at your office and, like, be this this business bro, you're going to get to the same place as Elon, it's, it's a lie. And that myth serves to, I think, separate people from meaningful activities and relationships in their lives. That myth serves as a rationalization for staying at work and not investing in community or not investing in what, you know, other relationships or other people. So as, you know, common people, <laughs> those of us listening right now, as commoners, we need to be uh, aware of that myth and be able to be critical of people's narratives about hustling and working hard and doing everything on their own because it's just not possible and it sets people up for failure not only in that you'll work yourself to death and never make enough money, but failure in the way in which we, we become disconnected from each other and disconnected from our communities, uh, which I personally think drives the kind of political and ideological division we see in online spaces and political spaces because we're not invested in community and each other. So being able to be critical of these narratives is something that I, I think is very important. And I think that Musk is quite an example of buying into that narrative, even when the facts do not line up with the story that he's telling. 
So, you know, check the facts. <laughs> he, there, it's been well documented that his father owned this emerald mine and was really wealthy, and that therefore Elon was raised as a wealthy child. Eventually, he moves to America. He uh, starts a company that is essentially what PayPal will become. That company, well, he doesn't start the company. He, like, joins the company. Company gets bought out, becomes PayPal, Elon stays with it, and then that is when he kind of becomes famous for the first time as the inventor of PayPal. But if you look through all of these, like, kind of tech uh, companies he's been a part of, Often he positions himself as being the founder or the inventor of the idea, and very often he is not. And even with the PayPal thing, like, really all it was was taking banking to the internet, <laughs> like, putting banking transitions online rather than you having to go in and fill out a deposit slip and, you know, physically be at your bank. So, you know, not true. Not necessarily revolutionary <laughs> ideas, but this again becomes part of his narrative that he's a genius and he's invented all of these things that he invented Tesla. He did not invent the Tesla cars. In fact, he did not come into the company until much later after the initial uh, founders invented the idea for the car. His narratives around being a genius contribute to this overall myth about how he has gained his wealth and they are not true. He he has had some, you know, formational positions in these companies where he was there at times where there were mergers happening or uh the companies were like coming into the public eye, but he, very few of these companies has he actually um been the creator of the product or, you know, concept. And Again, it ties into the myth, and he gets to portray himself as someone who is deserving of his wealth because he's so smart, and he's such a genius, and he's invented all of these things. And the reality is, is that he's been really good at taking credit for other people's ideas, which I guess is a skill. <laughs> um, but it's because it is used as a justification for why he deserves to be very wealthy, it kind of obfuscates again, this idea that he came from generational wealth, and that he maybe doesn't deserve his wealth. And if he's not a genius or this like really, you know, incredible technical inventor, then why is he deserving of having billions of dollars when there are plenty of people who do have, uh, you know, very technical intelligence skills and they don't make billions of dollars a year. It's just something to think about. Um, so that's kind of like, I think, uh, the background that I want to provide about Elon Musk uh, I have a couple of categories around his ideas that I want to touch on. And the first is his kind of interesting ideas about going to Mars. So this comes up in a lot of interviews that Elon has done. And you can trace back through the years to find interviews of Elon saying, well, in just the next 10 years, we're going to be on Mars. We're going to be building colonies on Mars. And he's really passionate about getting people to Mars. Funny thing is, is that if every few years you say we're going to be on Mars in the next 10 years, it kind of starts to fade. <laughs> the like ability of his prediction starts to fade. His latest prediction is that we will get to Mars in 2029, um, which he he uh, said that in 2022. So he shortened it to seven years. He's quite ambitious. <laughs> um, but he, he has this very strong belief that if we can get to Mars, then we can... Um, 
be a multi-planetary species. And this seems to be his solution to things like global warming, that rather than focusing on the planet where we already know we can live and survive, he believes that we should get to a different planet and essentially like set up a colony so that we have other options if the earth is ever destroyed or devastated or whatever. And while I don't think that, you know, believing in going to Mars is like an inherently bad thing or a, you know, negative belief to have, I think that in the case of someone like Elon Musk, who again has hundreds of billions of dollars, it can become a kind of a distraction from issues that would benefit from his wealth and attention that are here on this planet. And the amount of money that is being poured into developing rockets and gear and technology that could help us to like terraform Mars or whatever, um, all of that is funding that could be going into making changes on Earth, like doing things to prevent climate change from getting any worse, or uh, investing in sustainable farming so that we don't run out of staple crops, or um, providing like medications and vaccinations so that people are not devastated by diseases that we've long had a cure for, but we don't like to share with the, you know, southern half of the, the world. Things like that really fall by the wayside when you're only focused on Mars. And again, like, I, I don't think it may, I don't think this is a sign that he's like an inherently bad person because he's so fixated on it. Um, but I think that it uh, is another area that ties into his like, you know, individual genius billionaire kind of aesthetic or portrayal of himself that he is the only one who's going to get to Mars or the only one who's going to be capable of getting the human race to, to Mars. And that because, again, he is a genius and a you know technical wizard, that he's going to be the one to do it. But I think that that doesn't allow for collaboration. And again, is just another way to like justify his wealth by saying that like, oh, well, he's different because... He, he wants to go to Mars for good reasons. And maybe, maybe that, maybe that is true. I don't, I don't know enough about Mars. I'm not a space guy. Um, but I just think that it, it's another way in which, like, he does not have to address the problems of the world that we live in now. And not that Elon Musk needs to be, like, personally responsible, but I think it's the same for lots of billionaires. Like, Jeff Bezos does the same thing where he's got his whole space company that's all about um getting him to space for fun or what you know whatever he wants but not about investing in those resources to like help other people and if only a handful of people are going to hoard all of the resources and use it to get to another planet what are the rest of us supposed to do <laughs> like, i don't even if they could get to mars in the next 10 years or by 2029 there's no way in this green earth that i'm gonna have enough money to get myself onto one of those uh, ships to Mars, right? Like, most of us aren't going to be able to afford that. And there's going to be a very steep, like, entry fee to getting to Mars, uh, even if for some reason it's colonized to the point where we can live there in the next 10 years. So uh, it's just another way in which wealthy people can, like, separate themselves from poor people, which is most of us. Most of us are the poors, right? Like, billionaires are the top 1%, top 0.01%, the majority of us don't even have an inkling of the amount of money 
that they have. And so these are not options that are for most of us, unless Elon is going to take his hundreds of billions of dollars and purchase each one of us a ticket to Mars. I, I just don't see how it is a uh, global solution. And I think that the this idea of like, I'm going to escape and get to Mars, again, creates psychological dif- distance from people who don't have as many resources as him, that it is much easier to see um, people who are not interested in going to Mars or don't have the resources to get to Mars as like less than or an other category. And I, I don't have any like specific citations on this right now, but um, I remember in my social psychology class learning about research that has demonstrated that um, people who are more wealthy have a very hard time empathizing with people who are less wealthy than them. And the kind of higher you go up the income ladder, the more groups of people there are that you have trouble empathizing with. And so perhaps it is not that, you know, Elon himself is an unempathetic person or unable to um, consider the plight of the poor man, but that it is a function of wealth and the psychological distance that wealth creates to not be able to understand more global impacts of behavior, which I think is a another rationale for why people should not be able to accrue just like astronomical amounts of money because once we have that amount of money in our bank accounts or in our asset accounts or whatever, it just becomes literally impossible to empathize with anyone who does not have the same number um, in their bank accounts. So between Elon wanting to go to Mars and his other kind of highfalutin ideas like that he was going to build a high-speed tunnel that connected New York and D.C. or connected Los Angeles to Vegas and he was going to uh, build flamethrowers and he's going to build a robot and he's going to build a or he's a company for like brain implants so you can get the internet right to your brain. Like he just has a lot of like really out there ideas and usually what happens is he announces the ideas and like literally nothing happens with them. Like he, he like announced like a truck, a Tesla cyber truck. And then like it, it's been like years since he announced it. And like, I don't think anything has happened with it. Same with the Neuralink. He was like, you know, in just a few years, you're going to be able to, like, have this link in your, or this, like, chip put in your brain, and then, like, all these articles came out about how they put the chips into some monkeys' brains, and the monkeys all died. Like, no, it's not, it's not anywhere near happening, and, but because he already has this, like, established reputation as a genius, every time he throws out one of these zany ideas, there are enough people who are, like, well, he's a genius, it's gonna work, maybe it won't work right away, but he's gonna figure it out, uh, and so it just like kind of perpetuates these these kind of like odd ideas about technology, um, and and again it's just like further to buoy the myth that because he's like a special smart guy he deserves all the wealth that he has. But technology is not the only area in which uh, Elon has some odd ideas. He also has some odd ideas about having children, and. As far back as 2016, that was like the earliest that I could find it, he has, in public, in interviews, stated that there are not enough people on Earth and that he thinks that everybody should have more children, so that's why he also specifically is trying to have as many children as he can, uh, or that as he can be a good dad to, um, so that he can help like buoy the 
dwindling population of the earth. And so at the recording of this episode, he has 10 children total with three different women. He has two children with Grimes, who is a uh, musician, where they she had uh, one of the kids and then the other kid, they had a sur- uh, surrogate, but it was like their, their child together. He had a set of twins and then a set of triplets with his first wife. Uh, and they also had a, an infant son that died of SIDS. Their first son uh, died of SIDS. And then he has a pair of twins from an executive at his Neuralink company. And the twins and his second child with Grimes were born, like, very close to each other. The I think the craziest part of the story about the kids that he had with Grimes is that the second child, they didn't tell anyone. And, like, obviously no one noticed because Grimes herself wasn't pregnant. Um, but they were going to hide the fact that they had had a second kid until Grimes was being interviewed for Vanity Fair and the reporter came over to her house and as they were talking, the reporter heard a baby crying upstairs and basically in the interview was like, are you trying to hide the fact that there's an infant in this house? (laughs) And so, like, it became revealed in this article. Well, and, like, Grimes, you know, was okay with it and ended up revealing it herself in the article that they had had a second child. And so there's just, like, there's always something kind of, like, odd um, around this stuff. And one of his children with his first wife um, has recently come out and petitioned to change her name, uh, in part due to socially transitioning um, her gender, um, but also has petitioned to change her last name because she's disavowed Elon and no longer wants to be associated with him. So whatever is going on with him He's obviously hasn't been able to, like, be in the lives of his children all in the same way. And I, you know, typically would not want to, like, point out. I think some of this stuff is kind of uh, personal, even though the child has come out and, like, very publicly said the reason why she's changing her name. But I think that the the reason why I want to highlight this is that because it is, again, a function of his wealth that he doesn't get the same scrutiny for this that someone of less economic means would get. There are a a lot of stigmas around people who have, poor people who have multiple children, particularly, I think, like, once you hit over three, people start to get a little weirded out. Um, But there is a lot of stigma and discourse around people who are too poor to have more children or should be considered too poor to have more children. And there's a lot of judgment around if someone who is lower income has you know, if they were to have 10 children. And I think oftentimes the rationale to justify those stigmas and negative beliefs are things like, well, you, you know, with that many kids, you can't be there for them. You can't be a good parent and you can't really invest in them. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm not a child psychologist. (laughs) I'm an adult psychologist. I work with adults for a reason. And I think that there are ways in which, you know, a family of 10 could find time to invest in each of the children and, you know, each family has their own issues. But to assume that someone cannot be emotionally available for their child because they are low income and that therefore their children will suffer lifelong consequences is an assumption based in the kind of ideas we have around the moral failure of poverty. Yet when someone like Elon Musk, who again has hundreds of billions of dollars, has multiple children who at least one of them has expressed not getting their emotional needs filled by their father, 
there's no there's none of that critique thrown around around like Elon is an absent father or he's a bad dad or why did he have so much kid so many kids if he's not able to be there for them like I I hear like none of that uh, pointed at Elon and I think it is a function of his wealth that because he is a wealthy person then he can ha- he can afford children so he deserves to have more children and it it circles back to this idea like I mentioned a little bit earlier that poverty is a moral failure and if you are a poor person it's because you've done something wrong and so you also don't deserve to do things like have a family or get married or be happy because you're a bad person and you need to atone for what you've done and you're going to ruin your children's lives because of your moral failure. But Elon gets protected, or not just Elon, but wealthy people get protected from that because if poverty is a moral failure, then wealth must be a moral success, right? That's like the opposite uh, assumption there. And so wealthy people do not get the same scrutiny about their behavior in the same way that poor people do. Now, you know, I think Elon obviously gets a lot more scrutiny because he's a very public figure. And obviously there were people who had reactions to the articles about his daughter, but it's not in the same way where if you're reading stories about like low income single mothers who end up going to jail for five years because they, you know, left the baby in the bassinet while they ran down to the corner store to get a gallon of milk and they're charged with child endangerment. Like they're those people are made out to be monsters because you were too poor to have a kid and then look what happened because you were so poor and you couldn't get childcare or you know couldn't couldn't get your groceries delivered uh and elon is just like not gonna ever face that kind of stigma and so i think it provides this like extra cover for people to be like bad parents right or to like not be invested in their children and then when he comes out and publicly says I believe that I should be having these children to repopulate the earth. We all should be. If I were a child of a parent who was saying something like that, I, I would have a lot of feelings about what was the purpose of my birth, right? Or my life. Was it just to fulfill this like panic you have that there won't be enough people on earth? Did you really want me? Uh, you know, I, I, I would have a lot of questions about that. So I think that it makes it a little bit tricky for me as an outside observer to hear him say on one hand I'm having this many children because I think the world needs more people uh, and then not get scrutinized or criticized in the same way when his children express that maybe they didn't have the best childhood or they didn't have the best experiences. The even stranger aspect of it is that his father Errol Flynn or sorry, not Errol Flynn. That's another tra- like traumatic man named Errol. Um, Errol Musk. He believes almost exactly the same thing, and he has been quoted in articles saying that the only reason why we are on Earth is for reproduction. So Elon and his father hold the same belief, and Elon had Elon's dad had two children with his stepdaughter, who is forty one years younger than him. So Errol Musk got together with his stepdaughter after his second wife, their marriage dissolved. He entered into a relationship with his second wife's daughter, his stepdaughter, and they've had two children. They, I believe at this point, they no longer live together, uh, but they, the kids like still get to see him. And part of why he 
was like so down with having a child with a person who's 41 years younger than him and you know was effectively raised by him was because he believes that we should reproduce whenever possible and elon is estranged from his father because of this relationship with the stepdaughter he has said over and over again that his father is a terrible person he finds the relationship reprehensible um obviously because for elon like growing up with that stepdaughter like they were essentially siblings and then to see your father turn around and impregnate one of your siblings like that's really that's really screwed up so i like empathy for elon there and i totally understand why he's estranged from his father but then what is odd is that he is buying into the same beliefs that his father has and even though he has rejected his father as a person he has not rejected the beliefs of his father and acts in an accordance with those beliefs by having multiple children with multiple different women and continuing to be very open about this idea that the earth population is declining. And, you know, I don't like to diagnose people that I don't know. It's, it's, not, it's not ethical. But I would imagine that that would spark some cognitive dissonance to hold on to a belief that presumably he picked up from his father while also being estranged from his father and believing that his father is a terrible person, in part because of the actions he engaged in related to this belief about populating the earth. And cognitive dissonance is not fun. We, our brains do not like trying to hold two opposing ideas, and so we tend to default toward the belief that causes us less distress. And so what I imagine could be at play is Elon having to divorce himself from the fact that his dad also endorses this idea and holding on to it as like for the greater good or, you know, for the Earth's population rather than an idea that he learned from his dad, who he thinks is a bad person. Now, one thing that I think we should all be aware of when we hear people talking about these like population decline beliefs is that there is very often an undercurrent of white supremacist beliefs under these cries for um you know, mitigating population decline. We saw this a lot with kind of the stuff that was coming out of Tucker Carlson's show about the, like, white genocide, essentially, and how, uh, you know, Democrats are bringing in immigrants so that there's, like, no white people left in, in America and we're all gonna, like, intermarry and there won't be any, like, white people. I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> but, like, he got very close to saying that. And, and so, and I do want to be careful. I'm not accusing Elon of having these beliefs. I, I, I did not find any evidence when I was researching the episode to say that he believes that white people are diminishing and that's why he's trying to have uh, children with white women. But it is important to know that this is often a talking point of like the alt-right and white supremacists that white people are being like systematically, I don't know, murdered or not allowed to be born or something like that. And that their call is for white people to have babies with other white people and to have lots of babies with other white people so that the number of white people does not go down. Now, I'm a white person. I, I've been, I think I've been pretty open about that. Uh, I don't think we need to keep the amount of white people the exact same. Like, stuff happens. Things fluctuate. People fall in love with other types of people. Like, we don't need to be out here organizing to keep the number of white people the same or even increase it. Maybe it would be okay if it wasn't as high as it has been in the past. And this is a fringe belief. 
But just like I talked about with the Jordan Peterson episode about being careful for these like racist dog whistles is that when people who are who are actual white supremacists or in the alt-right, when they hear things um, like this, it is a signal to them like, hey, this guy is on our side. So if they hear Elon saying things like the uh, population is on decline and we need to have more babies, they are slotting in for themselves the the white part that oh elon backs us and when you are from a fringe group like white supremacists you want to accumulate people who are high profile who hold on to your beliefs same thing with jordan peterson same thing with kanye like i've talked about in those past episodes to have a mouthpiece for these beliefs allows them to be laundered in a way that are more palatable to the average Joe. And then the average Joe might go, oh, let me look up more, learn more about these declining populations. And when you type into Google uh, or into YouTube, you know, earth population declining, we know how the internet radicalizes and pushes radical content forward. There is a likelihood that those people then get put into a funnel to see white supremacist content about how it's actually white birth rates that are on the decline. And then that is your entryway into other types of white supremacist or alt-right beliefs. So again, to reiterate, I am not saying that Elon Musk himself is like advertising white supremacist beliefs to make more white people have babies. But I worry that by him spouting these ideas that have long been rooted in eugenics or white supremacy, it can be a dog whistle for the people who already believe those and a potential tipping point into a slippery slope for people who do not already hold those beliefs but may be vulnerable for being radicalized into them. If you are going to be a public figure, you just have to be okay with the fact that your words influence people. And if we are influencing people into dangerous territory like believing that white people are a superior race, Maybe we should tone it down a little bit, right? Maybe we should influence in a different direction or take a little bit of a break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And just one last point on his birth rates thing. He has also said um, in interviews and on Twitter that his rationale for wanting to have babies to improve the population or increase the population is that there won't be enough labor force. There won't be enough people to build the little parts for his cars and his robots and his rocket ships if we don't stop the population decline. Now, every article that I read cited uh, that there's actually not a lot of evidence that the population is declining to the point where there wouldn't be a labor force there are some countries that are experiencing a high rate of people uh, aging. Not, not that people are aging faster, but that like the larger portions of the population are older. And so the workforce is looks a little bit different, but it's not a global problem. And nor is it approaching a place where we would be without any labor. 
So it's just another potential motivation for why he makes these statements. And it's motivation that he has himself um, endorsed. So it just gives us more information about why he may be saying things like this. And again, if he is someone with hundreds of billion dollars, has that psychological distance from people that are much poorer than him, sees them as a labor force only and how much labor can he extract from them, um, then he's not going to treat those people like people, right? He's going to treat them like they're cogs in a machine. So those are just a brief little summary of Elon's ideas about children. And I want to briefly touch on the Twitter stuff. I don't think there's like so much... I could spend hours talking about Twitter. Like, there is so much Twitter stuff, but I don't know if it's, like, super important. I personally think that it's, like, kind of fun drama if you want to go, like, read some of his tweets or, or like, see kind of some of the responses to it. But to go through, like, everything with the Twitter stuff is just, like, too time-consuming. One thing, though, that I will note that I think is important um, is that... Well, okay, two things. Two things about how I'm kind of conceptualizing this. The first is that it is very clear to me as an outside observer that social media for all people, let me not say all, for most people serves an ego function. Social media boosts our ego in some way, whether it's because we get a little dopamine hit from likes on our posts that make us feel important, um, or because we feel uh, a sense of power over other people if we bother them, right? Like people who are intentionally uh, like stirring up controversy online, like perhaps are getting a little ego boost there because it's like they're thinking about me, right? Out They're thinking about me off of the internet. I'm taking up space in their mind, even when we are not interacting. Um, and so there are ways in which social media can like boost someone's ego. And although Elon is a billionaire, that does not make him not a human being with an ego. And I have found some of his behavior that I've seen on Twitter to be that of someone who has some ego fragility and is looking for validation to boost that ego. Now, that is something, like I said, is a very human experience and we all go through our days trying to boost our ego in a little bit. But most of us don't have hundreds of billions of dollars and don't have $44 billion to spend on a social media company so that we can have our tweets be seen by every single person on the platform um, and constantly engage with people who are kissing our butts about how cool they think we are, uh, most of us don't have that opportunity. And so, again, a way in which the astronomical level of wealth that Elon Musk has puts him in these situations where he can engage in behavior that most of us, like, don't know what to do with or wouldn't have access to. And I think, like, psychologically, that is very interesting because I don't know if the human brain is capable of handling one, that much wealth, or two, in the case of this, like, Twitter buyout, that much attention. From the last time I googled it, Twitter has about 400 million monthly users. That is a lot of people. I, I know that, like, in terms of social media platforms, it's not the biggest, but 450 million people seeing your content, like, that is an astronomical amount of people. Like, there are, like, 400 people that listen to this podcast. Like, that's, like, to the millionth degree, I could not imagine, like, having that many people evaluating my content with the possibility of a large portion of those people, like, loving 
my content or by proxy me. So I, I say all that to think that to say that I think that we can look at this Twitter thing as an exercise in how people seek validation and ego support um, through things like social media. And when we multiply it by wealth and access and things like that, I don't know if the human psyche is capable of hanging on to all of that. And again, not to diagnose or say that like Elon's psyche is fractured by owning Twitter, but it seems like just behaviorally by seeing the ways in which he has interacted on the platform, it seems to be having an effect on him in some way. And like one of the things that he did right when he got on Twitter was he started reinstating a lot of like far right accounts and, you know, accounts of people who are neo-Nazis or had been banned for hate speech. And it became kind of clear that he was doing that because those people supported him or liked him. And it didn't matter that the things that they were saying on Twitter were like truly heinous things. What did matter is that they thought he was cool. And so it seems like a little bit weak to say all of these neo-Nazis are let back on Twitter because of one man's ego, but that's my hypothesis. And I think it makes for a slippery slope, much like with the population beliefs that if there are other non-neo-Nazi supporters of Elon who see, oh, Elon's like interacting with these accounts and, um, you know, supports them, even if he doesn't support what they say, he supports them. I'm going to go check out these accounts that he's unbanned. And then boom, there's a door to being radicalized, right? Not like it's, you know, in the next hour you're like a QAnon guy, but it's a another opportunity for internet radicalization to happen because these neo-Nazi alt-right accounts have been associated with a man that certain people look up to as a genius, a, a very wealthy person who should be deserving of um, like attention and worth or whatever. That's a strong correlation between someone you look up to and a neo-Nazi. So I think on one hand, we have this like kind of searching for um, things to, to boost his ego and to feel, to feel important. Um, and then on the other hand, I think he's been like pretty open about these more like personal vendettas against Twitter and these almost like conspiratorial thoughts about Twitter is um, like not fair to him and he gets uh, all these like bot accounts coming after him and like Twitter didn't do anything about it. So he had like buy Twitter to put a stop to all of that um, and has continued to engage in those kind of things like when he tried to ban the Twitter account that uh, tracked uh, private jets that so it would show like uh, all these jets because uh, private jets, even though they are privately owned, uh, flight records are public. It's public information that anyone can look up. But but somebody had created this Twitter account where it would automatically tweet out like, you know, uh, Taylor Swift's private jet flew for two hours today from here to here. And then you can see like how often are these very wealthy people using their private jets. uh, And often they are using them in ways that seem pretty wasteful, like taking a 45 or, you know, a 15 minute jet ride that's like a 45 minute drive and using a lot of fuel to do something that is like just as doable in a car. And so like, he would crack down on those things and say that they're stalking him and that because of this like jet tracking account, like he was being stalked and harassed by people, even though it's already publicly available information because flight paths have to be approved by 
the FAA and those are recorded in a public manner. We've just seen like evidence of this kind of conspiratorial, a little bit paranoid approach to things going on that seem to even be slightly critical of him. And so I think if we pair that with this like, you know, again, normative like ego soothing or ego boosting, like seeking behavior, kind of pairing them together makes for a very dangerous combination of someone who is seeking out people who affirm and validate him and then viewing those who critique him through an almost like paranoid lens, that's going to continue to further the division where he's going to seek out the people that validate and ignore the people who critique, even if it is very valid critique. And I think that's how we end up where we are now, where Twitter is just like the Elon newsletter. <laughs> and like you open it and you see five of his tweets in a row and it seems like he's like constantly on there tweeting weird things. And like the most recent example I had seen was that um, Scott Adams, who's the guy who made Dilbert, if you even care about Dilbert, had made some really weird YouTube video where he was talking about like how he wants black people to get away from him. And he doesn't want, he, all black people are a hate group and they hate white people and he doesn't want anything to do with them. And like, it was, it was controversial, um, obviously, and there was a lot of backlash against Scott Adams and a lot of newspapers stopped running the Dilbert strip because of that. And so Elon, like, went on Twitter to say, like, the media is racist against white people and Asian people, not against black people, and didn't say anything about, like, maybe Adams said some kind of screwed up things about black people and... Therefore, there were consequences to his actions. But if we look at that, like, because on the surface, it's like, why would Elon Musk even care about the Dilbert guy? Like, does anyone pay attention to the Dilbert guy? I, I always forget the Dilbert guy name, guy's name. <laughs> like, why? And why would Elon Musk be paying attention to the Dilbert guy? But if we see, like, okay, he's moving toward communities and people that support him, which are becoming more and more, like, alt-right, right-wing um communities and he's critical of or, or fearful of people that are critical of him, then anyone who espouts beliefs that are similar to the communities he's drawn to, like Scott Adams, who is not even dancing around, is like outright being racist. Well, the people who believe or support Scott Adams are also the people who support Elon Musk, like the neo-Nazis who are back on Twitter or uh, are getting, you know, signal boosted by him. So, of course, he's going to side with the person who represents the communities that validate him and be against the communities that critique him, including mainstream media outlets like the Washington Post or the New York Times who have dropped the Dilbert strip. And so he's at a point now, and this is all hypothetical in my conceptualization, but at a point now where these larger things that are going on are becoming these kind of personal playouts of this dynamic where he's going to side with people that validate him and be against people that critique him. And it just serves to every time it happens, it reinforces that division and that division gets wider. And this would not be happening if he didn't have hundreds of billions of dollars to buy a social media platform where he could put his content in front of 450 million people a month. And so in a way, I guess that makes me a little bit sad for Elon to think of Perhaps this is a person who has some stuff going on internally and has a hard time 
validating himself from within or from within his loved ones. And because of the wealth that he was born into, has ended up in a position where these like very intense personal situations about figuring out how to take in critique and develop an identity outside of other people without needing praise to be reflected back at you is happening on a very public stage. And so I think that is where I have some some sympathy and some empathy of that sucks <laughs> to, to go through that in a public stage and to be locked in this battle like between your cognitive dissonance and between yourself in front of millions, hundreds of millions of people, many of whom are incredibly critical of your decisions, the things you say, your actions, etc., etc. The, I guess the benefit of being poor is we go through a lot of that stuff without any eyes on us, right? We, we deal with cognitive dissonance and creating an identity and figuring out how to strengthen our ego without millions of people watching us or really even caring what we're going through. We get the benefit of privacy. So maybe another way in which wealth is not good for the human psyche, but I think I've made that point enough this episode. The last thing that I I just want to mention real quickly um, before wrapping up is that there were sexual assault allegations against Elon Musk that came out, um, I believe, last year is when they surfaced, even though the event happened uh, like in 2017 or 16. Um, And so there were allegations from a flight attendant um, for SpaceX, which is his um, space company, where the flight attendant... Um, accused Elon Musk of asking her for a massage and then exposing his genitals to her and offering to buy her a horse if she um, engaged in like sexual contact with him during the massage. Now, he has disputed these claims and stated that this never happened and it couldn't possibly have happened because he doesn't have a documented pattern of sexual harassment or sexual assault. So I do want to be clear here that these are uh, allegations um, and that there there has not been like any formal charges or or court case. Um, but the my understanding is this flight attendant no longer works for the company and in fact did settle out of court uh, around some of these issues that they're just not able to speak publicly about. So you know, you decide. I tend to believe victims and want to hold that, um, hold that in my hand as I'm like going through the the articles and stuff. And you know, just because someone doesn't have a documented history of assault or harassment doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Um, and also doesn't mean that like someone may engage in uh, one-off behaviors every once in a while um, if the situation is kind of set up for that to happen. Um, so I think one of the ways in which it is clear to me that this situation was kind of created by the culture of SpaceX is that, um, some of the reporting revealed that the company SpaceX puts pressure on their flight attendants to go get licensed or, or trained to be a masseuse so that they can give Elon Musk massages while he is flying in his planes. And... Although, you know, I don't think there, <laughs> there's no evidence that the company is saying that you have to give him erotic massages. But, like, that is an interesting thing to request of an employee. Um, as, you know, my understanding is flight attendants are not typically trained to give massages. It's not typically 
part of the experience of being on a plane. At least I've never been offered a massage um, while flying on Southwest. Um, so it, it's a way in which the culture was kind of already set up for a employee on this plane to be in a situation with Elon where he is like not wearing clothes or uh, is in a more like vulnerable position. So while, yes, it may not be a documented pattern that Elon asks for erotic or sexual contact, it has been set up that the attendants are being asked to um, provide a service that is like just inherently more vulnerable because of the like physical contact that that it requires. And I will say, you know, I, I'm glad that this person had gotten a severance after leaving the company and she is no longer working there. Um, I think one of the more disturbing things about when these allegations came out is that there were people who are fans of Elon who were tweeting about the story, like the article that had come out in Business Insider and saying things like, oh, it wouldn't be harassment to me because I would like to see your genitals or, you know, how could anyone think that that's harassment? Like, what I wouldn't give to be able to, like, be intimate with you or service you, whatever, like, just really, like, intense stuff like that, that, like, really was not okay. And I, I, I only saw a few examples. I'm not saying that it was, like, everyone who um, follows Elon was doing things like that, but, like, there was clearly a group of, of fans of his who believed that because he is a genius and a wealthy person and a demigod or whatever they believe about him that, like, it's not harassment because you should be honored to be asked to provide sexual contact to someone that is your employer. And, like, that's disturbing to me. And I will be doing an episode later on, either this month or next month, uh, talking about some cults, because cults are an interesting psychological phenomenon. But you can, I think that this is very similar to, like, when someone has become elevated in a group, whether it's like in a cult or in a social movement or whatever, they they end up holding a lot of power and that power can be exploited and blur the lines of what is appropriate behavior or not. And of course, I'm not insinuating that Elon Musk took up any of those fans on those offers or has, you know, used his uh, reputation with them in any way that is like sexually inappropriate. But just the fact that people were willing to say things like that in public is an example of how coercion can come from a place of of power or authority because the person being coerced is more likely to believe well this person is worthy of this from me because of who they are how special they are how holy they are or you know whatever it is the way in which that relationship has been set up so all in all uh, elon's got some ideas <laughs> he's, he's got some weird ideas um they are not always innocuous, so I think they do require some examination and understanding of where they come from or who they signal to. Um, I think that overall, whether it's Elon or somebody else, having hundreds of billions of dollars just makes it very difficult to psychologically engage empathetically with people who do not have hundreds of billions of dollars, and that that is something that we should be aware of when thinking about do the very wealthy have our best interests in heart it, they might not even be able to if they're not able to empathize with the rest of us so i leave that as my 
maybe my takeaway from the episode. I hope that uh, this was helpful to like learn about some of the things that uh, Elon Musk does that I think required some talking about. Um, and as always, I appreciate you listening through the whole way, and I will see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. <laughs>